I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleas, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Next listener, Tom says, do you have any recommendations for perennial ornamental grasses? Do you have some favorites? You know, I do. JD's, J.D. Gunnell's coming on later, and one of his specialties, uh-huh. we could ask him for just briefly, but he loves ornamental grasses. Okay. And so for me personally, my favorites are the fountain grasses. They're not particularly water-wise, although they don't like a swamp either. But I just love the look of the seed heads. So if you're familiar with red or purple fountain grass, the perennial fountain grasses get the same seed heads, but the grasses are usually a green color. Yeah, I wish so, they had a purple one though. Yes, there are a few that will get a pure purple hue to them in the fall. But I just out of just personal Purple That's my favorite. Grasses. The purple one isn't perennial, but the perennial fountain grasses, Sorry, which are related. Grasses. Yes. <laughs> Keep it at the that. Fountain, perennial fountain grasses are my favorites. There's sizes that grow from about a foot high and wide to three or four feet. So, I mean, little bunny, little honey, ham elm. There's several of them out there that will work. As uh, for something that's just utilitarian, the miscanthus grasses, sometimes, I can't remember the other name for them. I i don't know why I can't remember yeah, but, common names. But it's more about the size, too. Make sure yes. that you get the size that you want. Some of them get quite large. They do. So the miscanthus grasses get anywhere from 4 by 4 to 6 or 7 feet. Morning lights is a really nice one I like. Um, there's variegated forms like porcupine that... Uh, the zebra flops over, but porcupine looks similar, but has a good look to them. But I just, for utilitarian stuff, if you need a bigger grass, miscanthus for ornamental, for a range variation, I really like the fountain grasses. All right. Next listener says they are curious as they get older. Um, they're not physically able to maintain their yard and utilize their greenhouse and garden bed areas alone. They were wondering if there's an organization that they can gift the use of these resources to in their backyard, uh, like like their greenhouse, because it's so underutilized. Not that I know of. But are there? But won't like the community gardens? Couldn't they possibly? <sighs> you run into liability issues and insurance oh. issues, and so the homeowners would have to take on the responsibility of people using them. And 
there are organizations. I know that Salt Lake County works with a group that will take unused fruit trees and they they only have capacity so for so many but they'll organically maintain them and prune them mm-hmm. and then they take the produce and they'll give the homeowners enough to eat sure. but the rest of the produce goes to um more needy populations or at risk populations who don't have as much food security. And so peaches, apples and cherries and things like that will be maintained by them, but they only have so many volunteers. Sure. As far as best advice on who to call. Well, that's the problem. Maybe Wasatch community gardens or one of those. Maybe Wasatch community gardens. I've seen people let neighbors that they've known for a few years come in and use the facilities and garden on their property. But I, they could call Wasatch Community Gardens, but a lot of it is just out of caution and liability. I'm really hesitant to recommend such things sometimes unless you really know the people. Okay. Next listener says they have a peach tree that the main branch broke this week, and it looks like a hinge at the break point, but it's still attached. Will that fruit ripen if I leave it on, if they leave it, it on the broken branch? will. Um, they could try to straighten it back up. They may need to take some of the fruit off. They say the fruit looks beautiful. Yeah, and so because it's still attached, it should ripen. But the, what they'll need to do is try to prop the branch up carefully, maybe with a two-by-four, and then go in and... If possible, put some bolts through where the break is and to see if they can hold the limb together. But that limb is going to be a weak point if they try to save it. It may be better after the fruit is ripe, especially in mid-March, to just cut it off. So or prop cut it up now, but later cut it off. Yes, because it won't fully recover and they might be able to cut behind where it broke and let side branches kind of take over and fill in. All right. Next listener is Bert in Magna. Good morning, Bert. What was your question? Yeah, I have a couple of dogwood trees, and they just seem to be dying no matter what I do. So you have dogwoods that are dying, and no matter what you do, and you said that they're pink flowering? They was. Now they the were. leaf is okay. off. And- so the dogwood trees, for the most part, are just trees that don't do well in our soils. There's a few exceptions, including, you know, like the Farmington area on the bench. There's an area up in North Ogden I am aware of, but 97% of our soil is unsuitable for dogwoods. And they don't like or lack of humidity. And so if you try to grow dogwoods, it's almost like a challenge or a hobby as far as trees. All right. And well, thank you. Yeah, with, yeah and you could have been doing forward. everything right and the trees just still died. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Bert, for your call this morning. Sorry for the, the answer. Uh, next listener, Ton, says they have some small white moths flying out of their lawn when they mow. They think that they probably have sod webworms. When do they spray for those and what should they use? Now, if you have those in your spray lawn, now. Okay. if you let them go, they will just tear up your lawn. So there's lots of chemicals you can use for sod webworm. And it just depends. They could put down a season-long grub control 
if they want. It's a little late in the year, but any inexpensive lawn insecticide will work, but they need to apply weekly for three or four weeks because the sod webworms will have adults, eggs, and larvae at the same time. And so they don't have a determinate life cycle. Okay. Rod is on the line in Salem. Good morning, Rod. What was your question? Good morning. We have a peach tree. It's an early Alberta, or a lemon Alberta, excuse me. And it's produced just amazingly for the last 10 years. It's 15 years old. And uh, I picked up probably a hundred of smaller peaches, but it wasn't nearly enough because it was just so overloaded. At any rate, during a windstorm, the center limb coming up from the tree snapped, as that other individual indicated. And I, it was so badly broken, I just cut it off and put it in the garage. And they did ripen, but uh, they didn't ever grow any longer. Anyway, I want to know what I should do with that break. And in trimming it, now I don't have anything in the center. Uh, and the limbs are getting pretty long. I do use those two-by-fours to hold them up when they're overloaded. Uh, just some suggestions. Okay. Well, I in Utah, I will say that really quick, that once a peach is picked, it will soften, but it will not sweeten up any further. Uh, other fruit can, but peaches will not. And so the reason... When we get imported peaches from Florida or California or wherever in the stores, they taste kind of like a peach, but they don't have that fresh off the tree flavor is just because they don't develop any further once they're picked. So supporting local peaches. But as far as the trees concerned, homeowners in Utah have a tendency to prune their peaches so that they look like if you were looking from the top side down at a helicopter, the limbs kind of look like helicopter branches. And we have a tendency to let them get too long and then what happens to you happens. And so if you were to go to a professional orchard, you would notice, depending on the area, up in Box Elder County and Weber County, those peaches up there are pruned kind of in that helicopter limb style. But all the branches are have a lot of girth and all the branches with peaches are only within six inches to maybe 18 inches of the limb. So they're never allowed to get super long. Because the peaches only produce on one-year-old wood. And so you can take a lot of the, the, the this year's fruit-bearing wood out because it'll generate, you know, the new wood this year will be next year's peaches. So what I'd recommend doing is don't butcher your tree, but where those limbs are long and wispy and causing it to hang over like an umbrella limb them back in March, you know, get those limbs trained so that you have more girth on them and you're training more side branches off those really strong limbs and you're cycling through those side branches a lot more than what you would imagine. And so down in the Santa Quin area, the trees are trained for four limbs in kind of a Y shape and a lot, about 50% of last year's growth comes off. And then it's almost like hedged to within a foot to 18 inches of the edge of the tree. Is it still good to trim anything that goes up on the branch, or excuse me, goes down it, on the new growth? Not, no. When you say goes down on the new growth, what do you mean? 
Well, it's growing out, but it's from the bottom of the limb growing down. I usually trim those off and let the ones growing up. Yeah, so don't cut all the limbs off going out from the trunk to the edge of the tree. You want limbs the entire length. On the edges of the tree, if the limbs are going to be a problem to work under or mow under, they should come off. But okay. the other mistake the homeowners make on peaches is that they have a tendency to take all the limb, all the side branches off to the edge of the tree. Then all of a sudden they let it grow. And if you can imagine holding a 10-pound steel ball in your hand held straight out from you horizontally, that's what you're doing to your tree with those peaches. And so if you spread the peach load along the entire limb and cut off the wispy edge of the limb, you're going to have far less branch breakage in your peach. Very good. We also have a um, burnt orange maple that I'm, I'm treating it with uh, chelated iron plus a, some uh, a product called Save a Tree. And it, I'm not sure now that it's, it stands probably 30, 35 feet tall. Um, but the, I'm assuming that the roots are as tall as far out of the tree. Not sure exactly where to put this treatment. Well, I, what I'd recommend doing is getting chelated iron, but you're also going to need micronutrients. We're finding that, especially on autumn blaze maple, that chelated iron oftentimes is not very effective at getting them out of that chlorosis. And so what you would need to do is put down the chelated iron and then get some liquid humate and mix it according to uh, instructions and then also micros, nutrients, either in a powder or liquid. Mix that up in a slurry or in five-gallon buckets and go under the entire canopy of the tree so that you snake back and forth to the edge of the tree back toward the trunk and then water it in. All right, Rod. Thank you so much for your call this morning. We need to take a break. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us, 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you taking your calls, 801-575-8255, and your texts at 57500. 
Ed has two Asian pear trees, Tan, one Bartlett pear tree, and all have been stricken with fire blight. He says he's sprayed them with copper, but realize that that's probably more a preventative thing than a cure. Now, there is a peach tree and an apple tree nearby, which uh, he's sprayed as well. What is your advice at this point? Prune all the fire blight out. Once it's in the tree, you can't get it out with chemicals. You have to prune between six inches and a foot beyond where you see damage. And you take a Clorox wipe or rubbing alcohol, dip the pruners after every cut, and keep going. This spring, when the trees are in blossom, they need to be sprayed with either oxytetracycline or something along the lines of streptomycin. There's actually some agricultural forms of those. And you spray the blossoms to try to prevent that from getting in. Uh, It's not 100% effective, but it will reduce the number of infections. And in the future, I would download a fact sheet on fire blight resistant pear and apple varieties and plant those. There are some resistant Asian pears and uh, European pears. And then as far as his other apple and peach, the apple may get fire blight in it depending on its resistance and the peach should not. Okay. Next listener says they want to plant a purple beech tree this fall, uh, the variety that grows up to 60 feet high. When do you recommend planting or should they wait till spring? They can plant this fall and that's just fine. Those roots are deep enough that the tree will actually overwinter in the ground much better than it would in a pot. And they may be able to find one on discount depending on tree availability. The last couple of years have been pretty tough. And so they may need to purchase one in the spring. Okay. Cheryl is on the line in Stansbury Park. Good morning, Cheryl. What was your question? Uh, Good morning. I have some blackberries, and I was told to fertilize them with high phosphorus fertilizer in the fall and then in the spring add high nitrogen. Does that sound correct to you? No. Download USU's fact sheet on raspberries and blackberries. And if you just do an internet search of USU and raspberries and blackberries, it'll give you fertilization schedules and things. Um, Mm -hmm. High nitrogen fertilizer in the spring may actually limit the fruit that you get. Raspberries don't need a ton of nitrogen, but those fact sheets will give you a schedule on when to fertilize. And you don't generally want to fertilize woody plants in the fall in Utah. Okay. And do blackberries require a lot of water in the summer? Uh, Yeah, they do if you want fruit. They'll need to be watered probably once a week to a depth of a foot, maybe twice a week. Raspberries, Mm. once they're established, will need to be watered twice a week to a depth of about a foot. Okay. And you might be able to, with some mulch over the top of your rows, you could probably Mm -hmm. cut that back to once a week. Okay. Wonderful. Thank All you. Right, Cheryl. Thanks for your call today. Uh, next listener, Tan, says, how much do you trim rose bushes in the fall? Only enough to keep them from breaking in the snow. Uh, the other thing that you're going to do sometime in November, if you're worried about them dying, if they've had problems in the past, is go get some chunk bark and just pour it and work it around the base of the rose bush to a height of a foot to 18 inches, you're almost making a volcano mound. What that will do is the chunk bark is well-drained enough that it won't rot the the 
canes, mm-hmm. but it will protect them enough that if we get, you know, down to minus 10 or minus 15, that you'll have enough new growth protected by that bark that it, the roses will regenerate. But you generally prune roses in Utah in mid-March. If you if we were in a warmer climate like St. George or Las Vegas or California, fall pruning is fine, but it's not here. Uh, next person says they have a weeping tree that's out of control. Is it okay to start cutting some of those renegade branches? If you need to move them to sea, like oncoming traffic, or if they're creating a hazard for other drivers, then absolutely prune them out now. But otherwise, I would wait on a, it was probably a willow tree, maybe a Siberian elm. But I would wait until mid-January to mid-February to do any major pruning and try not to take more than about 20% of the canopy out in a given year. Uh, Next listener says, is it better to trim trees now or in the spring? Are there any that you trim now? No, not generally. There are a few exceptions like walnuts and after their leaves drop, there's a school of thought that says they can be pruned in November. I've actually done that once and it didn't harm the tree, but I'm not recommending it. The best time to prune shade trees is in mid-January. Next person would like to know, can you aerate new sod or should it be done before if there are areas of old lawn as well? There's absolutely no reason to aerate new sod. But what if they could aerate the rest of the yard, though? They could do the rest of the yard if it's been in for years, and that's fine. But new, you would only damage it, and you shouldn't start aerating new sod for at least a year. But I don't think it would probably need it for a couple of years unless there was a ton of foot traffic or vehicle traffic over the top of it. All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. We're going to talk about, talk about wasps in your garden when we come back. I can't tell you how many people have been stung. We'll be taking your calls, 801-575-8255. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.